my name is Michael Fueling. I'm the lead pastor here at Village Church. This morning, I have the joy to open up God's word. Uh, if you would open up your Bibles to Romans chapter three, we're gonna be in verses 21 to 25. We're gonna get there in a few minutes. Um, first, I wanna give you just a quick update. If you're newer with us, you may not know that about a year and a half ago, we started um, a new church, a Village Church in Carroll Stream. It's called Village Church East. And uh, every once in a while, I, I just wanna take moments to celebrate with you some neat things that are happening there. And so this morning, actually probably like right now, um, they are installing 14 new members to their church, which is amazing. And I know, like, that's so good. And so the Lord has really just built this incredible core group of people, and there's a lot of really amazing things just on the horizon. And what I would want to ask you to do is would you just be in prayer for them regularly? Um, we take for granted that we've been around for like 45 years, and we have 45 years of, of, of humans and people and resources and culture. And, and so pray for them and uh, pray that the Lord would continue to build them, that people would come to Christ. I uh, just want to ask if you would do that. All right. Uh, this morning, we're going to be uh, continuing a series. Uh, entitled Doctrines You Can't Afford to Get Wrong. This morning, we're going to be talking about justification. Now, in case you're like, you know, man, four syllables, it's too many for me. Okay, I got it wrong again. I justification, five syllables, it's too many for me. Um, I just want to tell you on the front end, um, I want to beg you, uh, don't check out. Um, I think this could be one of the most transformative messages for you if you have yet to understand this doctrine. And even if you have, it is so beautiful and deep that you have barely and I have barely begun to scratch the surface of its glory. So I wanna tell you three stories and then make a point. Uh, the first story is about a guy named Jose that I met this week. Um, I know you can tell by my physique, I work out often. And uh, I, know, I know, I'm kidding. Uh, but I do work out often. Unfortunately, it doesn't show very well. I eat unusual amounts of calories. And so, um, but I, I go to LA Fitness, and most LA fitnesses have a sauna. I love saunas. Saunas are one of my favorite places to be. Now, for you ladies who are not familiar with uh, male sauna etiquette, let me share with you a few things here. Um, every culture uh, interacts with germs differently. That's a different story. Privately, come back and we can talk about that. But um, there are some rules, and here's one of the rules. Um, there's usually only one conversation happening at a time, and everyone else in the room is forced to listen. And so that's just two people, whoever's loudest, they win, and then we're all stuck listening to whatever is going on. Rule number two, do not touch anybody ever. Let's go back to rule number one. Uh, I go in and I meet Jose. Um, Jose is this really genuinely nice guy, and uh, this has happened, I'm not, I'm not kidding, probably 20 times in the last couple of years. Um, I will um, engage a person in conversation, just kind of small talk, and, and inevitably they ask me this. This is the dude question. What do you do for a living? And I say, I'm a pastor. And the whole room goes like, right? And everyone's watching like, what's he gonna say? It's the same story told over and over again. Like, it's like humanity has never met a pastor. So, uh, so I'm sitting there and, and, uh, and so here's, the, this has nothing to do with my sermon, what I'm about to tell you, but uh, here's the first thing he says to me. You know when you're awkward, you don't know what to say, so you say something stupid? Like that's the story of my life. He says, uh, he says this to me. Um, my, my priest tells a lot of dirty jokes. <laughs> and at this point, I'm like, cool? <laughs> I don't know. Like, all right. So we get, we get talking, and uh, he says, I got, I got a question for you. Um, what is the difference between a Roman Catholic and a Protestant? Now, just so you know, 
my favorite subject, maybe second favorite subject in the world. I'm all of a sudden like, my, my heart is pumping. And I'm like, let's go. Everybody's listening. I'm telling myself, tone it down. They don't know, like, you've been justified by grace through faith, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ at the cross, propitiate for your sin. They don't know those words. So I'm just calming myself down. I'm like, get calm, cool, collected. And so we have a really good conversation. I say to him, you know, your priest has probably taught you something like this. Um, the way to go to heaven, uh, the way you can know you're forgiven when you die, you close your eyes and you're going to be with Jesus is um, you have to believe that he died on the cross for your sins and rose again from the dead. And he's looking at me and, he said, and I said, you have to also do a number of good works and, and um, practice the sacraments. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's faith and works. And he's nodding. I said, is that what you've learned? And he goes, yeah, that's, that's, that's right. That's what I've learned. You go to heaven by being good and believing in Jesus. And then uh, I said, well, Protestants tend to believe something a little bit different. So we don't believe the Bible teaches that. In fact, we, we can't find that in the Bible. So we believe that the Bible teaches um, that everybody is a sinner. Me too. And, and uh, your priest apparently also. And uh, so everyone's, <laughs> everyone's a sinner. And uh, salvation, uh, forgiveness, is never by works. If we tried, we'd never be good enough. And uh, the Bible teaches that salvation is for anybody who placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. It's free. And he looks at me and he says, ooh, I don't know what I think of that. And understandably, because this guy is maybe 50, 55 years old in his entire life, his entire life, he has never, as far as I can discern from my short conversation with this man, this guy's never heard the gospel. And so for the first time, this young kid in a sauna, this Protestant boy, is telling him that everything you've ever learned and ever, ever understood and ever been taught by your priest is actually not accurate. In fact, there is a, another way, a different way, a better way, one right way to salvation, and what you believed your whole life is wrong, and understandably, he was very skeptical. He left the sauna, though, and he said, Michael? I said, yep, I'll remember you. I said, all right, next time we're in the sauna together. I'll tell you about Nancy and Murphy. Uh, this is not their name. These are the names my wife gave me because she said I should pick names that other people won't uh, probably have. In fact, we had a visitor in the first service named Nancy, so that was great. Um, so Nancy... <laughs> Let me tell you about Nancy. Uh, so Nancy uh, uh, represents someone else, but Nancy is somebody who came to Christ a couple years ago, and uh, Nancy struggled with a lot of just really difficult things, um, coming to Christ, uh, realizing her sin was easy, believing that she was forgiven was a different category altogether. So um, Nancy has this um, cycle that she experiences um, in church. It goes like this. Um, she gets really excited. She gets really passionate. She's all in. What can I do? I want to serve. And then inevitably, um, she messes up pretty big. And so rather than running to God, she runs from God. Rather than coming and talking to the church, she runs away from church. And so we don't see Nancy for maybe two, three months at a time. While well, the spirit or something, guilt, I don't know what it is, convicts her. And she comes back to the church with her tail between her legs. And every single time gets the same like reception. We love you. We're so glad you're here. There's not a spirit of condemnation. And, and then she does it again. And she's back for three months. And she's excited and she messes up and, and then she comes back. It's the same cycle over and over again. Conversely, um, uh, Murphy is a different <clears throat> person. Mercy, Murphy uh, came to Christ about a year ago. Murphy struggled with addiction, numerous other challenges. Um, coming to Christ was very hard because it meant letting go of, of things that he loved very much. And uh, Mercy, Murphy, though, Mercy, I take that out of my brain. Murphy, um, what he's done, though, is he, he has struggled and messed up a handful of times. And every time Murphy messes up, he comes back, he, he confesses to the Lord, he lets some of us on uh, staff know, and uh, he's very clear about it. And he just keeps running back 
to the Lord. What's the difference, by the way, between the person, when they mess up, they run away from God and run away from the people of God, and the person who runs toward God? I'm gonna give you a word, it's justification. What did Jose not get? It's the word justification. Tell you a third story. Steve was my roommate um, at, in Colorado. I lived in Colorado Springs for a semester. I gotta be really clear how I say this because um, the first service heard me say um, wholeness lesbians, which is not what I'm about to say. Uh, and so now you're paying attention. <laughs> okay? Holiness Wesleyans. <laughs> a guy came up to me and he's like, I don't know, the whole sermon was great, but what is up with like wholeness lesbians? I've never even heard these words together, you know? I'm like, I like literally have zero idea what you were talking about in any way. And he's like, Steve, I said, holiness Wesleyans? Yes. Okay. So apparently there's a couple people who missed that. We're going to air for sure the second service. No doubt about that. But I'll tell you about Steve. Uh, Steve, you know what? I enjoyed Steve, but Steve um, believed a very extreme version of holiness Wesleyanism. And uh, here's what he believed. He believed that um, when you trust in Christ, that God gives you the spirit. So therefore, you are not only able but expected to live sinless, perfect lives. Uh, the scriptures say, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Taking that out of context, applied that personally, own that. Um, how many of you have ever lived with somebody who does not believe they can be wrong? <laughs> Don't raise your hand because you're like, my spouse, right? Well, I lived with that guy. His name was Steve. And Steve could never be wrong because Steve believed that if, that if he sinned and was unrepentant and died in that state of sin that he would go to hell. In fact, Steve lived in a world where his sin would cause him to lose his salvation. He would fall from grace and then he would have to repent. And Steve believed that he gave incredible wisdom, incredible advice that the Holy Spirit made it basically almost impossible for him to do something wrong. Let me just tell you, that was an incredibly frustrating semester to live with somebody. But what did Steve not get? Justification. Now, you may not know what this word is, and, and by the end of this message, I hope that you understand it and love it. Some of you, you're like, yeah, yeah, pastor, been there, done that, justification, got it. Here's my challenge to you who are so smart. Uh, number one, if you're so mature, who are you discipling? Name them. Not now, but name them. Number two, you need to be able to articulate, you need to be able to articulate with simplicity the doctrine of justification in a language people can understand because this is, I'm telling you, this is one of the most difficult uh, doctrines for people who grow up in this culture to believe. Not to understand, but to believe. So I'm gonna challenge you with that. Pay attention, pay, get, get the best vocabulary you can to teach the next generation what justification really means. I'm gonna, I'm gonna share with you just the urgency of this. If you get the doctrine of justification wrong, it doesn't matter what you get right. If you get the doctrine of justification wrong, it doesn't matter what you get right. It's that important. It's that important. So let me, let me give you some context. Uh, Pastor Tim, last week, um, he shared about tiered doctrines, three different tiers of doctrines. I want to share these with you. Um, the, the third tier uh, would be something that we would say are um, not, they're important, but they're not super life-changing or important. They're not things we want to divide over. Uh, if I were to poll all of you um, on third tier issues, we probably would all disagree on tons of them. Third tier issues are not things we divide over. It is a sad day when we divide over worship style, personal preferences, preaching style, stuff like that. The church does not divide over third tier doctrines. When we do, we have put our preferences far higher than they ever should be. 
Second tier doctrines are different. Second tier doctrines are very important. In fact, um, wrong thoughts on second tier doctrines can lead you to wrong behavior. You wanna be very clear on second tier doctrines, but if you believe a wrong thing on a second tier doctrine, are you going to go to hell? Say no. No, they're important, but they're not essential for salvation. So, for example, Calvinism. I think it's incredibly important. Speaking in tongues, right? You need to know what the, Bibl- what the biblical perspective is on this. But you know what? If I pulled this room, we're going to have tons of different opinions. Now, here's the deal. Um, we will not, as far as it depends on us, divide over this. The church has position statements. But I also honor and respect that in these tier two issues, there's a lot of diversity in this church. And if you ever want to have fun and debate it, like that would be a blast. Uh, I love doing that. We love those discussions. Six-day creation. Um, there are really good people who love the Lord and love the scriptures and love the gospel who have the Holy Spirit, and they are flat wrong if they disagree with me. I'm kidding. Though. But they will be in heaven because salvation is not contingent on agreeing or having the right position necessarily on second-tier issues. First-tier issues, this is what we're talking about today. First-tier issue, first issues are essential. If you get a first-tier issue wrong, I need you to hear me, heaven is not available. These are essential. These are absolutely mandatory, minimal beliefs that if you're going to be a Christian, you cannot fudge on these. So let's start with a few. Um, We are all sinners. Give me an amen on that one. Amen. Necessary. Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. Necessary? You better believe it. Jesus Christ died on the cross for sins, for the sins of the world. Necessary? Necessary, yes. God the Father raised Jesus Christ on the third day. That was a literal, historical event, not mythology. Essential? Essential. Now, some people will tell you, oh, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I don't believe the resurrection was literal. It was more of a, a metaphorical, mythological event to kind of make a point. Um, the scriptures are explicit. Unless you believe in an historical, actual, physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, the gospel has not done its work in your heart. You do not have true salvation. Um, Jesus is coming back to judge the living and the dead. Essential? Yes. I'm not tricking you, by the way. This is all all just above board. Don't be afraid. Um, Here's another one. Salvation is not by works. It is by grace through faith. Absolutely essential? Absolutely essential. 100%. And and so these are the the essentials. We cannot mess with these. These are non-negotiables. You mess with these. You get these wrong. You get everything else wrong. Wrong. Justification is going to fall under this category. You have to think accurately about this doctrine if you are going to get the gospel right. Now, some of you are like, just tell me what it is. All right, let's do this. Uh, let's define our term. First, I want to define it in everyday language. Um, this is a, 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 a concept I just want to walk through with you. Um, what, here's what you're going to find. There's a Greek word in scripture. It's dekaiosune. Now, you don't have to remember that, but here's how it's translated. It's translated as righteous. It's also translated as justification, okay? So you have to understand when we use the word righteous or justified or justification, they all have their same root in this concept or this word. Now, justification has this sense of just right as it should be or proven right. Now, this part of the sermon might be the thing you remember the most. I want to share with you my favorite clip from a Disney movie. It's 20 seconds long, and I want to help you see this point as we use this in everyday language. Go for it. Okay, grab shell, dude. 
middle of that line, righteous, like everything is as it should be, everything is right, everything is okay, that wave was righteous, man, and in the vernacular, it's kind of this like, this is good, this is right, okay? Um, But in the scriptures, we have a, a similar use, but it has a very specific Meaning Again, we have this word, dikaiosune, and, and the noun is going to be translated as righteousness. Now, I want to play a game with you. Um, I'm going to give you a noun, and you give me that same word, but the verb form. Runner. Run, good. Killer. Righteousness. <laughs> That's a hard one, isn't it? So what the translators of the Bible did is you have the verb form of dikaiosune, and here's what they did. Uh, They found another English term because righteousness doesn't have a verb to it. That makes a lot of sense. And so what they found is this word justify or justification. If I'm going to justify something, okay, that is the verb form of the noun righteousness. So when we talk about the righteousness of God and justification, these terms all come together. I want to show you how all of this works. Let me give you the theological word justification And here is the definition of justification. Justification is God's legal declaration of your permanent right standing before God. Justification is God's legal declaration of your permanent right standing before God. Uh, Justification is a term that has massive um, legal and relational implications. In fact, this dikaiosune root word is very legal in nature in terms of first century Rome. But I want to give you an analogy that will maybe help you understand how this reality works. Uh, I want to use the American constitutional system for a moment. Um, What I'm about to share with you will probably expose a moral flaw, but I think we understand how this works enough that we can use this. Um, So I want you to think about the moment. The moment a baby is born. It's interesting because the moment before a baby is born, it has different constitutional rights than the moment after it's born, right? The moment a baby is born, according to how our government understands this, um, a baby becomes a person in the eyes of the government, in the eyes of the Constitution. Um, The moment a baby is born, um, they become a legal citizen of the United States of America. Before they're born, No. After they're born, yes, singular moment, and legally, their entire status has changed. The moment they're born, they have a legal mother and father, a guardian. There are realities about their life that, A, they didn't choose, but that are real the second this transition has happened. Uh, Now, there are also relational realities that come with this, um, assuming for a moment that there's somewhat of a healthy home, but this child is born, and not only are there legal realities with the mother and the father and the state and the government, um, now there are relational realities. This kid is going to get a name. This kid is going to be taken home by a mom and a dad. This kid relationally is going to have a mom and dad commit their lives to them uh, for until death do them part, if you will. And so this is what's happening relationally and legally in this one singular moment. Everything changes. The moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ, legally your status before God and relationally your status before God changes in a moment, on a dime, permanently, forever, and God declares over you the moment you trust in Jesus Christ, justified. Now, let me make this point another way. Um, Can I have you come back up? Uh, This is Ben. Ben is one of our worship leaders here. Ben came up in first service. I gave Ben no preparation for this, but he did such a good job uh, that I wanted to have him come up again. So Ben, would you take that knife for me? Um, Would you open it up? Um, Please don't kill me. And uh, so... Here's what I want to do with Ben. Uh, All my kids are born in August, so August is birthday time at the Fuelings. We had a birthday party 
this week and my wife um, brought home confetti balloons. Never seen them before in my life. The moment I saw the balloon, here's what went through my head. That's justification. Now, that's not going to make sense to any of you, but let me explain it. Um, Justification is one thing, right? It's justification. It has a meaning. It's a legal right standing before God. But if you dig under the surface, if you just look inside, there is so much more to it. The moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ and God declares you legally justified, legally right standing before him, let me tell you all of the realities that are bound up in this word. So would you do me a favor, pop it? Oh, geez, that's loud. Wow, okay. <laughs> Every time my heart goes, ah. <laughs> all right. Now, <clears throat> is it the balloon or the knife? I don't know, but I don't know what's happening. It's like the knife, the balloon, it's all coming to the same place. Um, ben Harper. Um, have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I have. Yeah, do you believe that your good works have made you justified before God? No, the answer is no. That was a trick question, <laughs> but the answer is no. Um, ben, uh, I want you to imagine for a moment, I'm God. I know, and that's not narcissist, Michael, okay? This is just for the sake of analogy. Here we go. Um, ben, um, every one of these pieces of confetti uh, represents something very different. Uh, ben, I want to tell you this. You are legally a son of God. Uh, This one says on it, adopted. Ben, you're adopted. Ben, everything you've ever done is forgiven. Past, present, future. All the dumbest decisions you'll ever make are probably ahead of you and they're all already forgiven. (laughs) This one says loved. Legally, you're my son, but relationally, every ounce of love that I have for you is yours. We're not done yet. Don't lose that one. one. That's really good. I know, right? Gotta put it in here. Ben, you're an heir. You have legal rights to everything that is mine. Everything. Everything that I own, you have rights to. Ben, you have a family. That's what this says. Ben, you are in a spiritual family with brothers and sisters, and it's forever. Nothing can undo it. You might not treat them all all the time, but this is permanent. This blood goes deeper than even physical blood. Um, Ben, mercy for you is new every single day. Because there is now no condemnation for you. You are given mercy every day by me. Never once do you need to wake up wondering if my wrath is upon your soul. We could go on and on. This one little balloon inside of it has all of this beauty. And God himself, in the moment of justification, all of this is wrapped up into it. And God permanently declares you legally forgiven, righteous, redeemed, forever and ever. And it doesn't matter what moron or what satanic evil one stands up and tries to make a new accusation against him. Nothing can undo this decree of God. Nothing. Now I, God, am committing my life to you, my future to you, everything to you, my resources to you, to form Christ in you from now until forever. And you're stuck with me. There's nothing you can do to get away from me. And that's justification. It's this beautiful legal declaration that has bound up in it so many more beautiful doctrines. Dude, you rock. Oh, you just threw away the gospel. It's ridiculous. <laughs> when you're justified, that moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ, everything permanently forever changes. Now, the need for justification presupposes a dark reality. And the dark reality is from Romans 3.23. You're thinking, Michael, get to your notes and get to the text. I'm getting there, relax. Romans 3.23, you know it says, for all have sinned. Some, no all, and fall short of the glory of 
God. Um, <clears throat> this is not a convenient way culturally to speak, but this is one of the realities that scripture speaks in, and so we need to be crystal clear. Every human being, everyone alive, whether they're little babies or old men and women and everything in between, every single human being has one of two legal statuses before God, which have both have profound relational implications. The first status is condemned. The second status is justified. There is no other. You are either justified or you are condemned. And the only single way that one person can move from condemned to justified is through faith in Jesus Christ. That is it. Not good works, nothing else. And the Bible teaches crystal clearly every human being is born condemned, born into sin, every single one of them. And that the only way that our lives can be transitioned out of this legal status of condemned, of guilty, to justified, saved, forgiven, redeemed, born again, I don't care what word you use, the only way to go from here to there, from condemned to justification, is through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, we'll go to Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Point number one, are you looking in the right place? Verse 21 says this, but now the, say it with me, the righteousness of God the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. But, but catch this. The law and the prophets, they bear witness to it. What do they bear witness to? Verse 22 says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believed. When you read the righteousness of God, the righteousness of God, um, you need to answer two questions. What is it and how do I get it? What is it and how do I get it? How do I get the dikaiosune of God, the righteousness of God, justification? That's a synonym, okay? We're going back and forth. Same word, same concept. How do I get this? Because God has it, God owns it, I need it, and I am condemned until I have this thing. I am condemned until I have it. What is it? How do I get it? Now, um, God comes down and tells you, you're gonna die in 10 seconds. What is the one thing you wanna know? Am I condemned? Or am I justified? In that moment, nothing else matters at all. And that's what you need to know. Verse 21, it says this, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. But although the law and the prophets, they bear witness to it. So Paul brings us into a literary courtroom, if you will. And on the stand testifying is the law. And somebody asks, is the righteousness of God, is justification found in you? And the law says, I have no ability to give you this thing you want, this thing that you need. If you're looking for justification or dikaiosune or the righteousness of God in the law or in the Bible or, or in good works or in anything, it's not inherent here. I can't give you the thing you're looking for. And so I imagine the person says, okay, then if, you, if we can't get this thing that we need through you, where do we get it? And the law points a finger at Jesus Christ and says, behold, that is where the righteousness of God is. The law won't give it to you. And then the prophets stand up and they get on the stand and someone asks, do you, can we get the righteousness of God, justification through you, through reading the Bible or through your message? And they said, we, we can't give this to you. We have no authority to give you to Kaiosune, to give you justification. But they point their finger at Jesus Christ and said, he can, he can. The righteousness of God is bound up in Jesus Christ. And the only way to get from condemned to justified is through faith in him. He's the only one that's gonna bring you there. Fundamental to understanding this. Every human being is condemned or justified, and the only difference is whether or not they place their faith in Jesus Christ. Point number two in your notes. So here's where to look. Uh, I want to show you this. The righteousness 
of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Romans is a thick book. You can get lost in the big words. So let me just strip away all the big words and bring you right to the point. Justification, the righteousness of God, the things you want. Let me just break it down in the most simple ways. And let me, hear, let me just tell you this. You're raising a kid, a grandkid. You're making disciples. You have to be able to break through all the cultural lies that they are believing that good people go to heaven, that following the law gets you to heaven, that being a really great person, going to church and being better than the rest get you to heaven. You have to break through all of that and get crystal clear with your vocabulary. And here's what he says. The righteousness of God happens through faith in who? Jesus Christ. That's it. And it's for anybody who what? Believes. Like God is freely willingly interested in giving away to Kaiosune justification, the righteousness of God. He is freely willing to give it away to anybody who believes in Jesus Christ. 24 says this, they're justified by his grace as a gift. Is this a reward or a gift? It's a gift. A reward is something you get for doing something well. You did nothing whatsoever, if you're justified, if God has declared you legally righteous forever, permanently, you literally did nothing to get it. Like there's no righteousness inside of yourself that you're like, God declared me righteous because I was better than Susie Q. This is not how it works. It's not a reward. It's a gift. It's grace. And then in case we're dense as doornails, which by the way, we all are to a degree, he's like, in case you missed it the first 35 times I've told you, how do you get the righteousness of God, right standing before God, forgiveness, saved, born again, redeemed, you fill in the blank? By faith. That's it. By faith. You've heard me say multiple times, good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. Let's, let's, take, it out of the, let's take it out of the practical language and get theological. Good people don't go to heaven. Justified people do. That's it. Good people stand condemned by God unless or until they place their faith in Jesus Christ. That's hard. Now that is an inconvenient message and you grew up in this culture and here's the mantra. Good people go to heaven. It's thick. It's everywhere. And it feels good. It sounds right. But I, I personally believe it is one of the most abusive doctrines around. Could you imagine the pressure? Can you imagine what it says about God? If you dance for me and perform for me and do the things I want you to in the way I want you to, by the way, I'm not going to really tell you what my threshold is or whether or not you really got it or not, but if you perform for me, then I won't send you to hell forever. God portrays himself as a father, as a good father, and yet salvation by works makes him out to be a moral monster. I think that salvation by works taught in a Christian circle or anywhere is one of the most um, insulting doctrines to the nature and the character of God. If my kids came up to me and they said, Dad, I only believe you'll love me if, if, if I perform for you, that I would be genuinely hurt and sad, and I think God is personally offended when people are constantly saying, am I good enough yet? Am I good enough yet? Am I good enough yet? Because that is not A, what the Bible teaches, nor is it the nature or the character of God. One pastor said, said this. He said, the kid addicted to heroin 
and the kid addicted to Sunday school have one thing in common. They both need justification. Uh, One of the realities of justification that we have to come to grips with is that all of our moral goodness all of our good behavior and our good decisions, all of the money we've given, all the awesome things that we've done, all the ways we loved people in quiet and in public and everything in between, I think this is one of the hardest things for Americans to understand. Everything you have ever done that is good has zero bearing on your justification. It's 100% irrelevant. So you, you might look at me and say, you're telling me that all of this good stuff I've done does not affect my salvation in any way, shape, or form. And I'm going to look at you and say it has zero bearing on your salvation. Justification, salvation, forgiveness. I'm just giving you synonyms at this point to a degree. The legal declaration of God over your life forgiven happens not by being good, but only through faith in Jesus, period. Period. It's so important that the moment you add works to it, you prove you're not justified. It's that fragile, it's that important, it's that central. You cannot mess with it. It is only and ever through faith in Jesus. Now, if I'm you, I have a whole bunch of questions. So here's what I did. I kind of just put all my questions out there and, uh, that I would have and I wanna ask them. There's two last sections of this message. The first one is, so what about? And then finally, a so what? So, so what about? So Michael, what, so what about those who profess faith and then fall away. So Michael, you've told me that when someone trusts in Jesus Christ, they are legally declared righteous before God, they're permanent, it cannot change, Um, this thing is a forever thing, but anecdotally in my life, I see people get excited for Jesus, get baptized, um, time and trouble, the great weeder-outers of true Christians and false Christians, right? Time and trouble come in and they ultimately reject God, walk away from the church and have no spiritual life whatsoever. So how, how does this jive? And I'm, I'm gonna tell this to you the hard way and I just wanna say it and let it sink in. Um, not all faith professions are the same. My guess is the majority of them have a ton of sincerity, but not all faith professions are equal. Um, one of the realities is that <clears throat> if your profession of faith in Jesus is genuine, God knows your heart, right? And he will instantaneously justify you. And all of this confetti, right? All of that is yours immediately. God knows that, but we don't. And so one of the things even Jesus talks about is there's going to be a lot of false professions. And time and trouble eventually weed up and they expose the reality of a person's profession of faith. And so what happens is God knows when there's an insincere profession and he does not justify them and inevitably time and trouble weed those people out and expose them for who they really are. And so one of the things we have to understand is that God knows that, but if God truly justifies somebody, I want want to tell you how you're going to know. You're not going to know because they're perfect, because we're not perfect until we die, right? That's, That's not happening. We are sinners. But they will persevere to the very end they will have at least a measure of faith until they die and you will see some level of upward motion in their lives toward God. That's what you'll see. And so what about those who profess faith and walk away? But Michael, they were sincere. I can sincerely believe I'm Irish, but I'm not. I can sincerely believe I'm a whale. But if you prick my blood and you check my DNA, I am a human being. I can sincerely believe I'm five foot nine, um, but I'm not. I'm five foot eight and three quarters, and it's been very frustrating. 
Okay, here's a question. Michael, why do Catholics use this word differently? It's a great question. And um, this is something that you may find yourself in a conversation with a Roman Catholic, or you might be Catholic, and you might be struggling to understand maybe some of the vocabulary I'm using, because justification is used differently in Roman Catholic circles. My, my goal in this is to simply help you understand some of these dynamics so that when you're talking and you're understanding, um, when, a, when a Roman Catholic priest says the word justification, they're probably not referring to the same reality that I might be referring to. And so in the Roman Catholic circle, just to get your head around it. Um, justification is a process, and it's a process that uh, helps you grow in your righteousness. The righteousness of God that you need uh, is accrued over time through believing in Jesus and participating in the sacraments and through moral good behavior, etc. And so justification is something you work into. Um, Protestants don't use the term in that way. Um, we refer to it in the, in the way that the, we would obviously say the word the scriptures most regularly use it, which is um, very simply that justification is a legal declaration of righteousness over you by God the moment you trust in Christ. And this is the whole point of the Reformation in the 16th century, why the Protestant church and, and the Catholic church separated was almost singularly, almost every other issue could be overcome except for justification. That's how huge of an issue it is that it created two totally separate spheres of Christendom as we know it. Okay, Pastor Michael, what about James chapter 2? Here's what James chapter 2 verse 21 says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? And then you should be saying, but it says the word justified. Now, I've told you a hundred times over, good theology is nuanced, okay? And so sometimes, I don't know why, but people suspend all logic when they read the Bible. So let me just give you like a little biblical interpretive tool that will help you immensely. Um, in, in the Greek language, the Hebrew language, the Aramaic language, and the English language, we sometimes have a word that has multiple meanings. For example, R-I-G-H-T, that is the word, right? Which, which hand is this? Right, right, you get the point. Like this one five letter word can be used in multiple different ways and how you discern its use is its context. The word justify, I would say, especially in certain books of the Bible, is almost exclusively referred, used to refer to justification, a legal declaration. James absolutely uses it differently. James is not concerned with our justification before God. He, in this part of the book, is concerned with our justification of our salvation with each other. I will justify my salvation to you by how I live. I will never, ever, ever justify my salvation with God by being good. I am justified before God through faith alone. I'm justified before you by works. Do you see the difference? And that is, that is James's fundamental conclusion in this is horizontal justification and not vertical. And I do appreciate, actually, there's a, a movement amongst Roman Catholic priests and scholars who see this, finally see this, as not referring to salvation, but referring to horizontal or relational justification. Are you really a Christian? Prove it to me by how you do it. Justify yourself, prove yourself. Number four, what if I don't remember when I was justified? Because uh, we've talked about justification as a moment in history. It's a moment in time. And there's a lot of you, when we ask you, when did you come to Christ? You say, it's like over a long period of time. I don't exactly know the date. And that's fine. Because sometimes when people come to Christ, it, is, it feels like this slow move um, toward him. 
But when you get to heaven and God shows you the panorama of your life and shows you the video, um, there will be an historical moment in time, a split second, where you were legally, objectively justified. Do not worry if you cannot point to the date and the time that you place your faith in Jesus Christ. It's very common for people who grew up in Judeo-Christian cultures to not be able to pinpoint when that is. Number five, what if I don't feel like I'm justified? I've got awesome news for you. Justification has no regard for how you feel. It is a legal declaration. It, there is no emotion that you can have that can undo that. Like, you know what, guys? I don't feel like I'm married. I am. I'm legally married. Like, my feelings have no bearing on these legal realities. I don't feel, uh, you know, I don't feel like a human being. It doesn't matter. Like, legally, I'm a human being. I, scientifically, I'm a, I mean, this is real. Uh, there's nothing I can do to change it. Depression, it doesn't change justification. Um, bad decisions, they don't change justification. There's literally nothing. When God makes the decree over your heart, mind, soul, and body that you are justified through faith alone and you are legally declared righteous before heaven, hell, and humanity, there is literally no thing that you can feel or do that can undo a decree of God. At that point, you can just give me a big amen on that one because you know what? Like We do incredibly stupid things, do we not? Like, if I could undo my salvation, I would have undone it 500 times by now in the last two weeks alone. Once justified, always justified. You've heard once saved, always saved. Let's get theological. Once justified, always justified. So what? Number one, this is non-negotiable. Non-negotiable. Salvation, justification, being born again, forgiveness, redemption, whatever. You, you pick your word. It is by faith in Jesus Christ and not by works, period. No questions asked. Cannot negotiate this. This is not something we can fudge on. This is something we have to be crystal, crystal, crystal clear in. I think it's a, an interesting relational concept when people approach salvation as if it's by works. Um, in fact, imagine you have a, a imagine you're married and, and you buy your wife flowers and you look at her and you say, you know, honey, I just, I'm gonna buy you these flowers. Do you love me now? Right? I wanna, I wanna, I'm gonna buy you a big gift. You know, do you love me now? Like, do you love me? Like, how many of you, like, okay, if you like presents, sweet, cool, but how, how annoying is that person? Super annoying. That's how I think God feels often about those who are trying to, like, like attain salvation by works. It's like, do you love me now? And he's like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, I already told you. Just trust in Jesus. Like, like oh, but what if I do this? And I go to church, and I'm like, Jenna, do you love me now? It's, like, so oppressive. It's oppressive for you. It's insulting to him. It's oppressive for you. Nobody wins. But it's this, it's this dumb little mantra that just good people go to heaven. It just sticks in our minds. Like, yeah, it makes sense. Until you cut it open, dig deep, inside, dig deep down inside of it and see how actually immoral that idea really is. Number two, this cannot be done. I'm going to say it again. No human decision can undo a decree of God. And justification is a decree made over you when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. And finally, this changes everything. Got good news. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, this is like some of the best news I could ever tell you. Salvation is not for good people. Stop trying so hard to earn God's love because God has offered you all of this confetti, everything inside this balloon of justification. He is offering it to you free, not by works, but through faith in Jesus Christ. It is one of the most beautiful, 
simple, glorious, amazing realities that God's hand is outstretched to you and all you have to do is trust. Believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again from the dead. It is not by works. Justification is by grace through faith. This is the message of the New Testament, the message of Romans, of Ephesians, of Galatians. It's a beautiful message. Your good works will never get it done, but the work of Christ did. Let's pray together. Father, I am so grateful that nothing that I can do can undo what you have done. I know I speak in behalf of many of us in this room and I say we would have undone it many, many, many times before. Thank you for offering us permanent, legal, relational, right standing before you through faith. Thank you, God, that it's just not by works. I'm so, I am again just in awe of how oppressive that must be for so many people. Lord, if there's anyone in this room who has lived under the weight of that burden, I pray, God, that the good news of Jesus would release them from that. Lord, would you just set them free? Would you show them what it means to trust in Jesus Christ? Lord, would you grant them justification? Would you give them your spirit and release them from the burden of the law and good works? And Lord, for those of us who have been released, fill us with gratitude. Keep us in awe anew of your awesome glory revealed in justification by faith alone. We love you and what a joy we have now to remember what you have done for us on the cross. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.